0: Well, hey there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and it's a special weekly episode that's a compilation of our thoughts on recently played board games. And we are proud to announce that Board and Games with Andrew B. is now part of our cast of Canadian Content Creators. And on this episode, we get to hear from Shay and Dave from Board on the Air, Ryan and Norm from Cardboard Conjecture, Rob and Anna Marie from Metal Maples and Beer. Matt and John from Friday Night Games. Andrew Buchholz from Board and Games with Andrew B. And Julie and Jason from Dice and Dragons. Taking this week off are Chad from Of Dyson Men and The Cardboard Kit. <laughs>
1: Hello, everybody. It's Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer. I'm coming at you recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast along with my wife, Anna-Marie. Hello. And uh, this week we're talking about two games in particular. The first one we've been playing a lot of is Marvel Champions uh, from uh, Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, And in particular, the the two latest hero packs, Ant-Man and Wasp, against the latest scenario pack, the once and future Kang. Now... I found that the two newest heroes, Wasp and Ant-Man, were both the most thematic so far. Would you agree? I would. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and for that reason uh, is that the the hero card, your main card, actually has their alter ego, such as Scott Lang for Ant-Man, and it'll flip over, like all the other hero cards, to show the Ant-Man on the other side. But in this particular Case with Ant-Man and Wasp, they'll both have two different versions. You can you can go between the first being their tiny form, and then you can actually unfold the card again to, to show their giant form, which is really really cool, and probably the most unique uh, thematic thing I've seen so far Absolutely. in this game. Um, so yeah, and and in those forms, they actually have different abilities, and they're they're better at different type or different parts of the game. So, for instance, if you want to do a lot of attacking when it comes to wasp is which who I played, um, when you 're in your tiny form, uh, she 's better for attacking and doing a lot of damage to the villain. But if I want to do a lot of thwarting to the villain 's schemes it 's better for me uh, the, the wasp to be, to be in the giant form. I think you said it was opposite.
2: Yeah, kind of opposite. There, the his actual hero card when you when he was in giant form, he was more hard hitting. Right. Whereas the the tiny form was you know more thwarting. But when uh, in the actual card play, like the different cards, the tiny form did seem to pack a big punch as well with on, right. on, the, on the attack side.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I thought that they were um, yeah super fun to play. Uh, they they did bring a lot of power, like uh, wasps. Um, pack was was centered around the aggression trait and uh, Ant-Man's was uh, around the leadership trait um, so Wasp was more about the punching and, and things like that and Ant-Man was more towards um, uh, helping the team sort of thing and what can we say about Kang um, <laughs> the, he was tough he was tough, <laughs> you're absolutely right he was the most difficult in my opinion uh, villain that we've come across um, and not only the most difficult to play against, but the most difficult to learn and the most difficult to set up. Because it took us like an hour to kind of get our heads around what we were doing. Because uh, for those of you that don't know, in the, the Once and Future Kang, he's actually going through time and changing forms. And we actually ended up playing against four different types, okay. or whatever you want to say, types yeah. or people. Uh, him split into different personalities because we we played against him... Uh, his his first form defeated that, and then he actually split into two more forms, and we you had to fight one form, yeah. And across the table, I had to take on another form in a different timeline, which was super cool and again super thematic. Um, and mine my version was uh, was Iron Lad, yeah, Iron Lad, where it was he was kind of like Iron Man in a different kind of multiverse scenario. And then once I defeated mine, I came over and was able to help you defeat yours. And yeah, because I was we, getting trounced. Right, yes. <laughs> and I was, yeah, again, with, with wasp, she was able to kind of punish the, uh, uh, the Kang on my side. So I was able to get over, help you out, and then we were able to go on to the fourth uh, version of Kang. And that one came down to the wire. Yeah. We I believe I had two health left when we, when we hit him with the final blow. You um, had a huge last round. Yeah, I think I took, took down 10, 15 points. It was quite hit a bit, points. yeah. Yeah, or something in the in the final round there, which really, really helped. Um, but yeah, we loved we loved Marvel Champions, and we loved all three of these. Uh, we're going to try Kang out again, maybe with two different heroes, just to see if we could do a little bit better. But we just wanted to try out the three new ones uh, and see what happened. And yeah, we barely made it through. But uh, yeah, that's enough for Marvel Champions. Uh, we're running out of time. What's the other game we're going to talk about?
2: Uh, the next game we're going to talk about is Stellar.
1: Stellar from Renegade, yes, yeah. and that was uh, made by Matt Riddle and Matt Pinchback. So, uh, yeah, tell us what you think.
2: Yeah, so Stellar, I just that game is pretty. It's they've kept with Absolutely. the uh, you know the the solar system. It's mm-hmm. dark. All the cards are dark, and it's it's pretty when it's freshly set up, and it's pretty when you're done playing. It just doesn't change. It just gets. A different it type does. of pretty <laughs> it Absolutely. Just is really looks really nice, very very pleasing to the eye, mm-hmm. um, and it's very unique. Mm-hmm. the The card play in it is very unique. Different rules that uh, once you get them, it's it's good. But it takes it takes a bit to wrap your head around too. It's very um, it's very simple to play. Uh, but for example, you have you know in your turn, you choose one of five cards from the card row, and then you add it to your hand. Then you play a card from your hand, but the card that you play. It determines the next card you know that you take and and you know where it goes. So you really have to think about each turn that uh, that or each card that you're playing so you can maximize your turn. Uh, we've played it about four or five times, mm-hmm. and
3: um,
2: I always use the same strategy. But uh, I think next time I'm gonna totally switch it up just to see how it affects the scoring. But uh, I think it's it was just fun. It's a solid two player game. It's just fun to play.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever strategy you're using is is the right one because you trounce me every time we play it. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's a gorgeous game. It's a excellent two player game. It's super crunchy in in the fact that every turn, every choice you make is so difficult to make because whatever card you decide to take and play in your telescope area affects directly which card you have to play in your notebook area and then using the, uh, the stars on the cards uh, to add up in your telescope area, you add those together and then those are the multiplier that you use against your cards in your notebook. And, and yeah, it's just, it's a super intricate, very difficult decision-making game. Um, And yeah, I, I I love it. I, we've yet played five, six times or whatever it is. And every time it's, I, I, enjoy it just as much as the last time and i yeah i i can't say enough good things about it i want to keep playing it and yeah try different strategies and see how that goes but yeah that's uh we're we're past seven minutes here so uh we're gonna get going but yeah we were playing marvel champions the latest hero packs and scenario packs as well stellar from renegade games uh again this has been rob from metal meeples and beer you can get us on Twitter at Metal Meeple Beer, as well as YouTube for all the videos, unboxings, and reviews and such. Again, I'm Rob and Anna Marie. Thanks again, everyone. We'll see you uh, next week. Cheers.
2: See ya.
4: Hi, I'm Shay. And I'm David. And you're listening to Board on the Air on What You have Been Playing. It's Watcha this week.
5: Ah, because she's introducing Because us.
4: I'm introducing. Uh, the game we will be discussing today is Lost Ruins of Arnak,
5: i.e., Indiana Jones. In
4: the box. And yeah. the
5: Lost Ruins of Arnak.
4: Yeah, basically.
5: Yes. This is a worker placement yep. cart, deck building. Yep. Fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd say
4: that's accurate worker placement deck building. Um, it, it like we said, it's basically an Indiana Jones board game, uh, just without the IP. Yes,
5: yeah, so this is from Czech Games Edition. It's by Min and Elwin, uh, are first time designers. It plays one to four players, and it says thirty person per or thirty minutes per person, and I would say that is fairly accurate.
4: Yeah, I think we did it a little quicker, but we play a lot of board games, so and it. I guess if you include the teach as well. Yeah.
5: With with the teach, it's definitely 30 minutes per player. Yeah. Uh, Describe it, Shay.
4: Describing it. Okay. So the basic idea of this game is you're going to spend five rounds placing your explorers out uh, and doing actions with the cards that you have in your hand. So you place a worker out. Depending on where you go, you have to have a card that allows you to move to that area or gems, or uh, arrowheads, or what's the other one? Compasses, tiles, any of those things that you need to spend to be able to go to a place and take that action. Um, Along with the moving, there's also a research action, uh, which allows you to move your hourglass and your diary up on a track that will get you bonuses as you move up, as well as, what do they call the extra helpers? Assistance? Yes. Um, Yeah, get assistance, which just... Give you bonus actions, basically. Uh, so there's those two, and then you can also buy cards to help build up your deck. Uh, these cards, there's two different types. There is a an item card and the blue cards, which are... Relics. Relics. Item cards and relic cards. Uh, they give you two different things. They cost money or compasses to buy. I should say they don't give you two different things. They give you two different types of actions, but they cost two different things to buy, And a neat timing mechanism of this game is each round you lose one coin card and gain a relic card on the upper track, right? Like where you can buy the cards. Uh, So eventually you only get a choice of one coin card to buy, but four different uh, relic cards. Which I thought was pretty neat as you move up. I will say coins are a lot easier to get than compasses, so it gets very hard to buy cards later on in the game. Uh, but they are more powerful, I'd say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the basic idea of this game is you're trying to collect things to be able to get victory points. Uh, and, you know, the most victory points, you win. Um, uh, the version of the game we got, I don't know if we got a Kickstarter version. This is the base nope. game, right? Uh, this, it's gorgeous. This like, was
5: not a Kickstarter yeah, game.
4: Base retail version of the game. It's beautiful art on it. Uh, the pieces in it are all fantastic. All of them are plastic, so the, t- the tablets have even little writing on them. The arrowheads are gorgeous, blue, resin. Uh, same with the gems. And unfortunately, then they throw in cardboard Card- compasses and coins. We already have uh,
5: upgraded, upgraded
4: parts coming you for you those. gotta
5: deluxify it. gotta game.
4: deluxify it, but it is wonderful. I think the rules are very easy to pick up. Uh, Very easy to learn what you're doing throughout the game. Uh, The only issue I'd say I had with this game, and I mentioned it before, I wish you could get more workers. You only ever have two explorers. That's it. Throughout the whole game. And most worker placement games, I find, give you the opportunity to at least get a couple more throughout the game or buy more. And I, I do wish I had the opportunity to get more guys because it feels like i could then get more actions done it uh, i felt i got a little stuck at certain points
5: yeah this is a a tighter game uh where you know a lot of worker placement games give you a lot more freedom i found this one limited in what you mm-hmm. could do mm-hmm. uh and you didn't always have to play a worker to do an action yeah right and, and that was the nice thing is that it, it's not a strict worker placement game it's not a strict deck building game there's it's this hybrid model that I think worked really well in this case. It
4: was very fluid. Like, yeah. it, it, it's, it was smooth. I just found that the best way to get resources was to put your guy out. And when you did that, if you didn't weren't able to explore upper levels, right, where you get to fight people and get the things that actually give you victory points, you kind of got trapped because you can't explore any, like, the bigger areas any other ways other than your guys. But it's hard to get resources in other areas, and resources don't count as points. So yeah. you might be left with a bunch of resources that don't aren't worth anything.
5: Yeah. No, there's definitely some uh, tough decisions. As you say, like uh, using your workers was one of the best ways to get your... Uh,
4: resources? Resources. Yeah.
5: But you could also use relics and use some of the free actions. Mm-hmm. But those were hard to get as well. So Yeah, because you need
4: resources to get those.
5: Yeah, it is a very streamlined game. It was only five rounds, or six rounds, right?
3: Six? Five. five. I thought it was five. Five rounds. Five rounds.
5: My bad. Five rounds, and so you're taking, you know, 20, 25 actions at most. Yeah. And then how you are for how many guardians you've captured, how, many, uh, how far you've moved up on the research track, mm-hmm. and... Your cards give you points, so there's a few different ways to get points, and it benefited you to do everything in this one.
4: Yeah, I definitely think, like, I want to play it again, and I think I would try and buy more cards, because I think those would have helped me a little bit more. I got stuck a little bit, I think, not having enough resources.
5: Yeah, because cards will help you get some resources as well. Uh, You know, I moved up way up on the research track, which ended up uh, allowing me to win the game, Mm -hmm. Uh, but... All in all, super solid game.
4: Absolutely. I think uh, the designers did a great job. It looks pretty. It, the rules are sh- very smooth. Uh, even with the, the small issue I have there, I think it's still a game I'm glad to have in our collection. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And you can find us at Board on the Air on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as any podcast sites uh, that you can download from and cfcr radio station in saskatoon thursday nights at 6 p.m have a good night
6: hello folks
7: i'm ryan of bridge city board gamers and one-third of the weekly podcast cardboard conjecture where we offer our opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information we are very active on Twitter and Instagram, where you can follow us at BC Board Gamers to follow what we've been playing lately. This week, I would like to highlight some of the two-player-only games that my wife and I have been playing, as well as what my son and I have been playing a lot of lately. The first game I'd like to mention is Glasgow, designed by Mandela Fernandez-Gradon and published, by, and published in 2020 by Local Games. Glasgow is a rondelle action selection game where you will be gathering resources to construct buildings into a common 5x4 grid between you and the other player. As in other games like Glenmore or Patchwork, if you are behind on the other player in the action selection rondelle, it is your turn. So don't go too far ahead of you and grab those illustrious spots or else your opponent will may benefit greatly. You are building these buildings in order to score points and different buildings will score different points in different ways. Some even score points based on their position in the grid, offering some strategic planning of when you will buy uh, certain buildings or blocking your opponent in their, um, you know, their spatial part. It is fast to learn and fast to play, 20 to 30 minutes approximately. Uh, we've been enjoying it for what it is, but definitely does not, is not near the top of the two-player only games in our, from our experience. Um, But the next game I would like to talk about is what we've been playing a lot of this past week is Mandala, designed by Trevor Benjamin and Brett Gilbert, published in 2019 by Lookout Games. Uh, Mandala is an abstract card game where essentially you are playing mini games simultaneously throughout the course of a game. The goal is to collect sets of of like colors to score points except where you don't know what each color is worth at the start of the game, and will be most likely different for every player. Um, over the course of the game, you'll be placing cards into one of the two what they call mandalas on the board, um, either to the middle, which is referred to as the mountain, or on your side, which is referred to as your field. Um, there are some rules on how to on how many cards you can be placed in and where, but the overall arching rule is that the same color cannot be, um, two different areas of the mandala so if black already has uh, is already located in the mountain then neither player can play black to their fields only into the mountain Um, after cards have been placed if either mandala has all six colors featured the mandala is what's called referred to as being broken and scoring will take place starting with the player who has played the most cards to their field and alternating Um, players will select all the cards of one particular color from the mountain, placing them into their scoring area, which is called the river. This is where players will find out the value of the cards they just took. See, the first color a player collects, all of those cards that they'll collect from now on are only worth one point each. And the second color that they end up collecting, well, all the cards that they collect over the course of the game will be worth two points, and so forth, and so forth. So the gameplay continues until a player has collected all six colors or the deck of cards runs out. At that point, the players will add up the score of all of their cards that they have collected and the most points wins. This has been an amazing abstract game that has quickly jumped near to the top of our two-player only games collection. The puzzle of when to play cards and where has kept us engaged every single play. No game is going to play the same twice as the cards are drawn in different configurations all the time. Again, this is another one of those where it's fast to learn and fast to play, um, and we're going to end up playing this one over and over and over again. Finally, my five-year-old son and I have been—sorry—he's in, uh, been interested in uh, Pokémon um, as of late for and in, for quite some time now, and so for Christmas he received the Pokémon trading card game. Um, Battle Academy box. Now, I haven't played Pokemon myself in probably well over 20 years, but I'm glad that they have recently reese- uh, released this type of product. Essentially, what Battle Academy teaches you, it, it teaches you the basics of the Pokemon card game. Inside the box is a board that organizes all, where all the cards go, and there's a lot of information to tell you um, about what certain cards have on them. And where you place certain cards, it comes with a whole bunch of tokens to track your damage and statuses. And it also, what the most important is, that it comes with three pre-built 60-card decks. Um, each deck, one deck revolving around Pikachu and Electric Pokemon, um, Charizard and Fire Pokemon, and Mewtwo and Psychic Pokemon. And I, li- I, like, the, I like the choices here because these are some of the more iconic Pokemon that they had, that, that Pokemon has had. Um, as well as there's three instruction manuals with two of them. And this is what I really enjoy about this is that two of them walking players through how to play the game step-by-step. So these, these decks of cards are pre-constructed. And so the card, the instruction booklet will actually tell you what card to play and when now having not played the game for a very, very long time, I was very appreciative of this approach. Um, my son, who is, like I said, five, he follows the steps and the rules very easily. Um, we've played this actually so many times that we just actually just play by the regular standard game rules now. Um, it's actually been quite amazing to watch him, him progress in this, type of, in this type of game. He now knows all of the options that he can do on a particular turn, and he's even starting to form his own strategies based on the deck that he's playing charizard obviously being his is his favorite because it deals lots of damage um none of the cards included in this set um inside the decks uh none of the cards have really crazy abilities um so it's, it's all very very digestible um pretty much what your cards are going to be doing is just like searching for more cards playing energy and just um, doing attacking um He's very eager to grow his Pokemon card collection and find and find new things, and I'm excited to actually um, do this type of hobby um, um, with him. So that's what I've been playing lately. Um, I'm Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture podcast, and you can find us on iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BC Board Gamers, and you can see all the pictures and all the posts of what we've been doing lately. All right, I will. See you next week.
8: Hi, I'm John. And I'm Matt. And we're Friday Night Games. And you can
9: find us on Instagram at Games underscore official, Twitter at FridayNightGMS, and on our website at FridayNight.Games. Yes, that is a website.
8: Awesome. Uh, Last week, we had the ultimate pleasure of playing Blood on the Clock Tower. So, John, before
9: we get into what it is, why we love it, how we played it wrong, and why you shouldn't play it, why did we choose that game? Uh, How did we
8: start playing it? Well, usually, uh, we play games on Friday nights, hence our name. Um, By the way, even
9: though it's Friday night, our name is actually (laughs) night with a K, just so you don't get confused.
8: Uh, We... Our, uh, some of our group lives in the United States, and with uh, the current pandemic going on, uh, they we can't cross the border, so we haven't really seen them in a year. And uh, Michaela suggested that we play a game online. I was like, oh, we should play this game, because I, I like it. I like playing it. And uh, everyone's pretty on board. So uh, it was a good game that we can play online. There's a lot of good visual elements to it, which was pretty neat. So
9: So just so you know, our setup was we had a Discord server uh, seven or eight of us
8: were on the Discord seven server, us, yeah.
9: And then, uh, we had the game. This the game itself has its own website. You just kind of sign up at.
8: No, that was uh modded by somebody. Someone, oh, really? Yeah, someone wanted to, uh, play the game. And that once COVID hit, um, they couldn't. So they mm-hmm. made this game so they could play it. They made the uh, little app, the app, the web app, uh, so they can play with their friends online. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So let's get into it. So, Blood in the Clock Tower is a social deduction bluffing game, uh, similar to Werewolf. Um, it, the story goes: uh, the town storyteller has been murdered by a demon that's roaming the town. Uh, beginning of the game, players are assigned a role, and they abilities that play out during the game to help gather information or to help hinder game gameplay. Um, they have to try to figure out who the demon and their minions are. Um, that's basically it. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's
9: pretty simple. I think there's a big storytelling narrative that you follow too.
8: Yeah, so the storyteller needs to be like really into it and uh, really trying to rein people in and uh, drive the story along throughout th- throughout the game.
9: What's super cool is there's also three scenarios or stories you can play, and there's actually like a big grim, like a big booklet you kind of have if you're the storyteller.
8: Yeah, like the the box of the game is like a big. They call it the grimoire. Right. It's a big big
9: book. That's we didn't big. have that though. No.
8: Nope. I had my computer version of it.
9: All right, so I'm going to go over why we love it, so let's start with that. Um, I think it's actually a really good version of Werewolf. If you haven't played Werewolf, it's exactly the same idea. There's a bunch of werewolves, and there's a bunch of villagers, and the werewolves are trying to kill the villagers, and the villagers are trying to vote who figure out who the werewolf is. Um, But with this game, you actually have rules uh, for every villager. So everyone has a special ability they can use, which is way better than... Uh, werewolf, because in werewolf, you could just be a villager who just sits there and just scratches yourself, while other people have cool abilities. <laughs> so, true. so this actually gets you kind of in, involved in the game more.
8: Yeah, and uh, I like I like the story. Um, I like, I, even though it was my first time being a storyteller, I really liked that aspect of it, um, just helping drive the story of the game forward. Um, you know, obviously, I'll be better next time um i like that when a player dies they're not out of the game so they're not sitting there um they actually have uh there's like a voting system that goes on but uh when when you die uh the the dead player gets one more vote in the game so um use it well use it wisely is my suggestion um, and I think when there's an interested group to play through, can be really captivating. Um, I played a game that lasted about three hours, and it was like thrilling from start to finish.
9: How many people were in that game?
8: I think there was like twelve or thirteen. Oh, okay. Because yeah.
9: when we played, we only had six, seven. six or seven. Yeah. So it was it was a shorter game. Our game went into like thirty minutes or something. Right. Can't believe your game went on for three hours. But if you're super into it, and there's a lot of people who know what they're doing or have done it several times, it's probably a really good game to play. Yeah. So if you have a lot of people and they're all veterans, that's probably how you should play it. All right, so how do we play it wrong?
8: Okay, so the first the first one was like, so we played two games. Yeah, the first one was my my bad, one hundred percent, and um, I gave, um, Michaela. She was she was playing as the chef, but I gave her, <laughs> I gave her the information of the washerwoman.
9: No, you gave her no, yeah, uh, no, no, so, no investigator. No, and this this is funny because how we played her No, wrong. no, no. I
8: gave no. I gave her the. Uh, I gave her the information of the washerwoman, so she knew who one of the. She knew one of two players was particular a townsfolk. Okay. Um, I don't know why I did that. I I, I think oh, oh cuz uh, one, one of the things. I to was, me. One of the things I was looking at. Um, game gave me the wrong information. That's, okay. that's
9: what happened. So, so on a funny note to that one, this is kind of like my how we played it wrong. Because we played it online, it's so easy to just give away conversations you're having on the side. So one point, I got fed up with Michaela. The same game, you gave her the wrong information because she's messaging me, and she's like, I'm the chef, and I know that one of you is a villager, and you're a villager, Matt. I'm like, if you're the chef, then you know something else I'm like, what are you trying to pull? I'm like, you're you're the demon. She's like, I'm not the demon. She's like, I'm <laughs> the chef. I'm like, if you're the chef, you would know this information. Why do you know that information? And it was this is like this our chat was what was going on for like ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
8: there's another there's another thing that that I didn't realize happened. So it, on the online portion of it, it tells you like how many players are playing. So and uh, how many players are villagers? How many players are oh. um, outcasts? And how demons. many people are demons? And nobody caught it. But I was like oh and uh so I gave the demon um an outcast as a bluffing uh, thing, okay, and uh, the demon used it, and then nobody was like wait the the Re-clu- the Re-clus is a uh an outcast, but it doesn't say if there is one <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's from last game it didn't update <laughs> <laughs> so I mean obviously oh. I have some work to be a storyteller, yeah, you know, that was my first time <laughs> and only my second time playing the game, so
9: it was um. I know I like playing games wrong. We do it all the time. It just <laughs> it just makes for a better story. You play everything right all the time. It just gets boring.
8: Yeah. So so is there anything that you didn't like about the game, Matt?
9: Yeah, plays just like werewolf. <laughs> 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 no, okay. I'm just gonna say if you like if you don't like werewolf, you're probably not gonna like this game. Um, but for us specifically, and I don't know if you, if the listeners have ever had this problem, you play werewolf as a group, and maybe your group is a little bit more introverted. And when that happens, um, people don't really know how to start talking. Yeah. So we kind of had, so our group was so introverted. It took us like 15 minutes before we started talking. And then like 15 minutes in, I just like a light bulb went off my head. I'm like, I can't stand this. This game is, I'm like, I just started giving everyone my information. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, look, this is what I, I remember. I think it was, um,
8: you were, Oh. you were the, uh, fortune teller. So you, right. You had a th- I had to tell you if one of two people you picked was the demon. Right. So I was slowly like, right, going, right off the bat, you called the de- you called the demon out.
9: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Go me. <laughs> but it was just funny because I was like slowly using deduction to go around the circle to figure out who the demon was. Um, one Also, one person appears to be the demon to me. So I could figure out who the demon is. I'll figure out two people or the demon. And using that information, I could relay, to, relay that to the group. So at the first round i'm just like i'm gonna hold in my information a bit but that second round i'm like okay you guys are annoying me no one's i'm like you all have information start sharing your information or we're never gonna get out of this yeah, game and i kept
8: saying that too and i was like guys i gave you all like information to share share it, it you know what
9: it was no one really knew how to do the game and again you're with a bunch of people who are introverts me and you are introverts uh just not when we're on a podcast but <laughs> we're, we're we're introverts when we're playing this game and we're just like hey i'm just like at one point i just i got so fed up i'm like this is what i have these people are demon figure it out and they're like well they're all like trying to be like well i'm like dude you all have information you all have information there's only two out of six people two people are against us why are you pretending to be against us michaela's in the chat she's like she won't even tell me what (laughs) she won't give me the right information (laughs) like this is bananas yeah these are bananas
8: it's all good it's all good it was just nice to get together with everybody. Yeah. As best we can, because it was nice to see uh, Matt and Dan.
9: Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you think that people might not like this game for?
8: Uh, honestly, yeah. Just you have to play with the right group. I think uh, people who are into it.
9: People who are good at like, I mean, some people are really good at lying and some people are not. So right. maybe that's like a problem. Yeah. Right. So and you're right. Some people are into it. Some people are not. So
8: so. Cool. Well, that's what we played oh yeah
9: on friday yeah sweet so uh just remember uh, to check us out on our socials so uh we already said instagram twitter um
8: do we do anything else yeah we do live streaming every monday from uh 8 p.m eastern standard time on twitch so twitch.tv slash night gms
9: cool and also don't forget to check out on our site friday night game friday night .games we actually have a stats thing we do every month and you can actually see what was hot on the list all the way through of the month. And I actually updated it. There's a couple sorting features I plan to add a search feature in it too. And it's actually really easy for me to update now, so definitely check that out. And soon I'll be releasing a yearly list of 2020 that has it's huge. I just have to somehow figure out how to program it. <laughs> so definitely check that stuff out
10: what up gamers i'm jason i'm julie and
3: together we're dice and dragons and you can find us on youtube at dice and dragons as well as on facebook instagram and twitter all at dice and dragons
10: we like to keep it easy for you so what have we been playing this week well the first thing we want I call it a thing, but I guess guess it is a game. It is the Umbrella Academy game by Studio 71 Games and designed by Scott Dean. Now, <laughs> now when we last joined you on this podcast, we had only played it a little bit. Well, guess what? We finished our review. We finished guess our play. What? I
3: think they could tell by my not radio-friendly <laughs> rating of it.
10: Yes. So... <laughs> That is the first game that we played this week, well, this week between podcasts, and we really didn't have that much fun with it. What do you do in Umbrella Academy? Well, you become one of the heroes of the Umbrella Academy. You get a character with special powers, and you must beat villains by playing a card that has a higher attack value than the villain cards. Now, if you survive X amount of villains, X being the number that you need, depending on your player count, you will go into the final apocalypse battle where all of the cards have higher attack value than your card, meaning you've got to use your hero's special abilities to win. But guess what? You take damage from doing that. So,
3: so in theory, great game. In theory, great idea. I enjoyed the IP. We thought it'd be great. However, bottom line, the game's not finished being designed.
10: Well, now, I have yeah, I was I was gonna reviewed... Say, the, and what was delivered? And what was delivered? The rule
3: <laughs> yes, but how so I was gonna say there's a new rule book. You found a new rule book after we did uh, we played the game and we did our review. However, conversations we've had is you say this doesn't fix all of the problems.
10: No, so the new rule book does make the game playable solo with proper rules. You only face villains with six cards. It does give you the ability to block to have damage so you have a better chance at surviving. So if you do have a card that doesn't quite equal the damage value of the villain card. Well, it's still useful, whereas in the original rules, it's not. Big problem was this new rulebook wasn't emailed out to backers. It was hidden in the Kickstarter update. The whole release of this was just very clunky. And I got to say, the rulebook came out in September. It should have been in the box with the game. The other issue we had with it is the board. It was supposed to fit all the villain cards. It was rectangular. 11 by 14, it turned into a square. No update, no information. So, is the game playable? And the new rule book also isn't printable. It's from- well, it's not easily because it's not formatted to be nice pages. In any case, the game is playable. I think our biggest disappointment, though, was the deluxe version. Don't know how to use the deluxe components for the game. And well, that wasn't our biggest disappointment. Well, that's, that's my biggest be- disappointment because, hey, you got it partially fixed, but I still can't use some of the stuff that we got. In any case, that's the Umbrella Academy game. So if you do end up getting it at retail, get the new rulebook at 25 bucks. I don't think we'd hate it as much, but for a deluxe edition, as Julie said.
3: You can check out our review and get our other thoughts, but basically, I don't think the new rulebook fixes everything. Yes.
10: And then this just came out when you're going to be listening to this. We reviewed...
3: Quirky Circuits by Nikki Valens and Plat Hat
10: Games. Now yes, this is eight... published by Plat Hat Games. Sorry. They didn't design it, but okay. I mean maybe they did. They did use the well. They definitely gave her that storybook idea, which they've used in other games. Yeah. So our our
3: review will have just been out. You can check us out. This is a family friendly game. Uh, basically a great game to play with uh kids. It says ten and above in the review. We talked well, about. No, it. it's eight eight,
10: eight and eight above. above.
3: Sorry uh it it's a great game for uh learning and teaching uh playing methods communication solving. uh, problem solving so we look forward to playing with our little guy when he's old enough many years from now
10: yeah and what are you doing in the game julie we're talking about the game we didn't tell anyone what we're doing well so in the game
3: you're programming
10: these robots
3: uh it's a robot City, and you're programming the Robotopia, you know, I think, or, or Robotville, whatever. Uh, and you're programming these different robots. You've uh, you've got the cat, you've got uh, the dog Rover, you've got the bee Twirl, and you've got the server Lefty. Uh, and basically, what you're trying to do is uh, you know go through different scenarios. Uh, and you're 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 basically playing cards without speaking, so they've got some nonverbal communication that has to happen. So it's it's a game that uh, does what it intends to do very well. Yes,
10: and there can be some fun family hijinks as you crash into stuff, smash stuff, or even potentially spin around in circles because guess what? Luck just wasn't on your side.
3: Yeah. So it's Probably not a game for uh, adults playing together unless you've uh, had a couple of beverages uh, first. But uh, listen but hey, for- if
10: you if you like that kind of thing, I would yes. have to say problem solving is not what I want to do in my off time. So.
3: I, so I would, I'd say, you know what, check out our review and get a little bit more information.
10: All right. And as we're trying to peep this short, we've got one last game that we want to talk about. And that review hasn't come out yet, so we don't have a lot to say because we're still working our way through it. We got Chronicles of Crime 1400 to the table. Once again, designed by David Sicurel. And his name is, I'm going to mangle this, is Wojciech Gretchkowski. Yes, yeah, it's a Polish name, and published by Lucky Duck Games. Like Chronicles of Crime, what you're going to be doing is trying to solve mysteries. You've got a board, you've got evidence, clues, char- and yes, characters that are going to be scanned by an app, as well as your trusty companion, the dog Percival, that, that's going to be helping you solve crimes. Now, while we didn't love the original Chronicles of Crime, Our opinion went up with Noir, and I have to say that they fixed a lot of the issues that we had in the game. We originally felt you had to figure out what the designers intended, but in 1400, well, if you scan boxes, but it's actually a package, it's gonna refer you to scan packages, which saves a lot of time. You're not gonna be missing things. And it's a lot easier to just progress and play the game and have fun, which is the most important thing.
3: So good week for gaming. We got a a lot of games in uh, this week. Uh, So feel free to check out our reviews. Go back and uh, check other things while you're there as well.
10: Yes, Chronicles of Crime will be coming the day after this podcast. And just a reminder, we are Dice and Dragons. And Julie, where can they find us? They can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all under Dice and Dragons. All right. Thank you very much. And remember, keep keep playing playing games. games.
11: Hi, this is Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. Most of my gaming is online these days, as it probably is for a lot of people, but I did manage to get one physical game played this last week, a game of Cube with my wife Lisa. I also got in a number of good online games. With my one local group, I was able to play some Race for the Galaxy, a favorite of ours. I was also able to get in a couple of games of Underwater Cities and some Six Nipped. With another local group, we were able to get in one of our regular online rounds of T2, which is always a lot of fun. And then with some of the guys I play with in asynchronous online games, we got in Grand Austria Hotel, we got in some Forbidden Island, some Welcome To, and some Russian Railroads. I'm also involved in some longer-running online games. I'm playing turn-based versions of Civilization, the old Avalon Hill game, as well as uh, Stellar Horizons, and a newer uh, space exploration game, and Silverton, an excellent old railroad game. And it's a railroad game that i'm going to focus on this week which is 1846 the race for the midwest 1846 is one in the series of 18xx games these games started with 1829 which was designed by francis tresham way back in 1974 but they really gained wider prominence with 1830 which was also designed by tresham and which came out in 1986. Since then, many other designers have borrowed the general structure of the 18xx games originally published by Tresham, put their own tweaks on it, and come out with new 18xx games set in different areas of the world. There are a lot of differences between individual 18xx games, and many of them are exceptions to even the general rules of what is an 18xx game. But these games do generally have a stock market, a map that you build on, and the idea that players are not individual companies themselves, but are investors who buy shares in different companies with whoever controls the most shares of that company being the president. The presidencies can change hands, which often leads to quite a lot of interesting gameplay. Beyond that, there are some rather dramatic differences between 18xx titles, and one that's especially important with 1846 is that it's what's called an incremental capitalization game rather than a full capitalization game. 1846 came out in 2005 originally, but it became much more widely available when GMT Games did a mass printing of it in 2016. It's designed by Tom Lehman, known for Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, Res Arcana, New Frontiers, Starship Merchant, and many other great games, including two other 18xx games, 2038 and the upcoming 1833 NE. There are a few things about 1846 that really stand out to me and make it my favorite of the 18xx series of games. One is that it's an incremental capitalization game rather than a full capitalization game like 1830. In a full cap game, when a company floats and sells enough initial shares to begin operating, it gets a one-time payment from the bank of a lot of money. But then it's hard to get money back into it unless you withhold after running your routes and deciding. Not to pay the shareholders. In 1846 and other incremental capitalization games, you can take a more middle of the road approach because shares that are still in the company treasury earn money for the company. And 1846 takes this a little further still by letting you issue those shares to other non-player investors. So essentially that gives you a way to get money into the company when you need it and have the company keep its shares and retain some dividends from them when you don't currently need to issue those shares. The other cool thing with 1846 is that it dispenses with the initial auction that's seen in a lot of 18xx games where you first auction off small private companies. In 1846, instead, there's a draft, and this is quite interesting because it means you don't have to have a, a full valuation of all these companies in your head, and you're not competing with anyone else who really wants that particular private company, you, and you're not competing with escalating higher and higher bids with anyone else who wants that company. If you're passed a private company in the draft and you want it, you pay, you take it, you pay the value price, and it's yours. And these private companies all have strengths and weaknesses, and some of them work better with certain public corporations, which are large railroads that you form. So a game of 1846 is always interesting in trying to find those synergies between the private companies that you select in the draft and the public corporations that you eventually form. And that's a big part of what makes this game stand out to me. Those combinations and the board play allow for a lot of variety, and that's a big part of what keeps me coming back to 1846. I have 55 track plays of it on board game stats, and I'm sure I've played it a lot more than that. And yet, I still keep seeing new things in a lot of the games of it I play. And there are people with many more plays of this than me, many in the hundreds, and they keep playing it and keep finding interesting things about it. If you're interested in 1846 or other 18xx titles, you can play a whole lot of them for free at 18xx.games. There are a wide variety of 18xx titles available there, including 18 Chesapeake, which is a good intro to full capitalization games, and 1846, which I think is an excellent way to get into the incremental capitalization games. This has been Andrew Buckletz. Thanks for listening to me talk about trains. If you've got any questions about 18xx games or any of the other games I mentioned, hit me up on Twitter at AndrewBuckholz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. You can also find my board game site at BoardAndGame.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.
0: Hey there, this is Norm from Cardboard Conjecture and the Bridge City Board Gamers community. And uh, I'm going to add something new to this segment. Uh, I'm going to uh, include some of the where this uh, podcast actually was inspired from was on our Facebook community. We have a What You've Been Playing Wednesday post and uh, I'm gonna read with with the consent because uh, we are liti- we are a litigious society and I'm gonna need consent on the uh, saying the name so I asked uh, uh, people from the community if I could mention them and they uh, they graciously said yeah for sure so I get to have gamers envy. As I uh, read off what members of our community have been playing in the last week, so let's start with uh, with uh, Mike Nielsen. I hope I'm seeing this right. solemn out of plays in the ne- in the last seven days. Hopefully, finishing Clank Legacy in the next two weeks. I'm jealous, as well as the other two scenarios of uh, Star Wars Unlocked. And uh, um, Ryan talked about that game, so uh, that yeah, it's Star Wars. I, I have to look at it so he included a, a screenshot of what he's been playing uh in regards it's very detailed it's like he must be a math guy um uh, the uh the big ones i'm gonna read out he's been playing patchwork and it looks like all at two some at three players uh patchwork clank as he said uh legacy star wars unlock scythe uh merv the heart of the silk road oh i want to get a try at that i've been hearing so many things about that uh feast for odin um, it's a feast because it's a table hog. Uh, apparently, that's what I understand. Uh, Wingspan and uh, Clank and Deck Building Adventure. So, yeah, that's a great lineup. Yeah, that was that. I was a uh, man. I would have been happy to, you know, leave the house pandemic style. Uh, we're moving on to Jason Josephson. Uh, Jason and Amy played Easy Breezy Travel Agency, Santorini, Russian Railroads. Oh yeah, uh, Sagrada. Uh, Genties <laughs> or Genties, um, Odin's Ravens, uh, Jenga, Tiny Towns, and Heaven and Ale. Wow, that's a range. All from dexterity and panic from Jenga all the way to some heavy Euro stuff. Awesome. 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 Uh, moving on, we have Lane Ardell. Uh, Lane, I've heard that name frequently. Awesome. Uh, so Lane says Deep into Zombie Kids, assortment of educational card games. But I painted over 20 minis and 20 child fingers. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Yeah, cool. Um, uh, On our, I think, on our uh, uh, um, Discord channel, I I started a uh, little um, painted minis showcase so we could, uh, people in the community can show off their painting skills because I've definitely got some stuff that I want to embarrassingly show off. Uh, Moving down the list, um, uh, we've got Hans. uh, um, Hans, Lacker, I believe, um, or bakker could be. Uh, Terraforming Mars, My City, Calico, Honeybuzz, Whistle Mountain. I've heard lots about that. Rez Arcana, that's another one I want to play. Race for the Galaxy, interesting because both the same designers. I think it's Tom Lehman. Uh, Fairy Tales, Second Chance, Marvel Splendor, and Trails of Tucana. Uh, I've seen Trails of Tucana is a recent one out there. It, it's... Uh, it's popped my interest a little bit. So, yeah, that's what the people of the community have been uh, on fa- on our Facebook, Bridge City Board Gamers community in Saskatoon, have been playing and have uh, allowed me to mention that. So, uh, moving on to what I've played, um, I have uh, been hunting, stalking a game called Museum. And uh, the reason for uh, uh, me kind of going on a... a, a, a uh, uh, a, a game hunt is the fact that I saw the cover and it was Vincent Dutre and uh, for those who don't know Vincent Dutre uh, artist on several games uh, like Lewis and Clark expedition discovery uh, the museum as I said I, I mean I, we if you want to you, we uh, did a podcast on our favorite artists
6: and, um, Sent yeah. out
0: a, a message on our on our group chat and said, uh, "I'm ordering something from 401 Games. Who wants to get in so we can get free shipping?" And and I was you know withholding it. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, a Kickstarter clicker Ryan piped in after saying that he's going on a you know a, a stopping game. Well, long story short, which is already getting long, uh, we got some games. So this is one of them that I got. Uh, bad grammar. I'm so sorry. Um, this is one that I. Was uh, allowed to no okay I'm joking. Um, so museum got on the table. It is uh, it's it's a set collecting game, uh, card draft. What you're doing is you're basically accumulating from different parts of regions uh, um, artifacts and pieces to present in your museum. And the that's the theme of it. The, but the mechanisms of it it's twofold. It's really interesting. Um, you are set collecting in a manner of uh, civilizations and kind of uh, um, domains, either in architecture or in astronomy or navigation, or, like I said, the civilizations, the Incans, the Mayans, so on and so forth. There's all those kind of uh, combinations that you can uh, score on, which comes into the whole patron scoring cards but uh the interesting thing that i like the most about it is is that there's a second phase of the game is once the game ends and you have all these these artifacts you have the last opportunity to display them in your museum in such a manner that the the connectivity of these collections will get you even more bonus points so it's one of these interesting card drafting set collecting and then puzzle building at the end or, you know, this kind of let's make a Jackson Pollock painting make sense. Um, so and uh, across the whole board, all these cards have Vincent Dutre art. It's so gorgeous. It has this um, this 1940s, 1930s kind of era, uh, uh, pulp fiction, uh, um, comic book uh, adventure kind of uh, vignettes look to it right? And, uh, at least for me, it's got this nostalgic ring that is so, so awesome. And the game is solid too. So if that's, if that's something that sounds, if you're big set collecting and a card drafting kind of, uh, uh, of, uh, Um, gamer. this uh, Have a look at it. Mind you, uh, I think it's going into a second print, so you might have to wait a little bit, but hey, there's lots of games out there. So uh, thanks for uh, um, uh, listening. Like I said earlier, uh, I'm Norm from Cardboard Conjecture. You can find us on all the forms of media, and if you listen to the end of the show, we'll we'll give you a little uh, bumper tag on how you can get a hold of us and uh, follow uh, our... Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, podcast. And that brings us to a close of this episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening and uh, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to hear a lot of other Canadian content creators out there. Um, A lot of really good stuff. So uh, please check out the show notes. We will try and have linkables so that you're able to go check out other content that is available out there well let's just say keep your stick on the ice and take care out there eh? This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek Guild number 3039.